AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA, and thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Always appreciated. Here we are making our way through Thanksgiving week. We hope it'll be a good Thanksgiving for all of you. We're going to talk about the cost of this year's Thanksgiving meal. We know what's up, how much, and we're going to get a breakdown of that from Roger Cryan. He's the new chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Of course, each year, the American Farm Bureau releases its survey of the cost of the Thanksgiving meal. So we will go over those numbers on today's program. Scott Yeager with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association joins us. Reaction to the Biden administration's decision to go back to pre-2015 rule for the waters of the U.S. and a lot of concern in the ag world about that. We'll talk with Scott Yeager, get some reaction to it. And then we're going to take a look at a couple of issues for the potato industry. Cam Quarles, CEO of the National Potato Council, will join us. Uh, There's a potato disease in Canada that steps are being taken to keep it out of the U.S. And there's kind of a breakthrough on getting U.S potatoes into Mexico. So we'll look at the both the northern and southern border on potato issues coming up on today's program. So lots going on. Let's start it off with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, I'll be headed to New York for Thanksgiving and I'll see how people are eating in in Manhattan and other, uh, and, uh, other parts of New York City. Well, hope you enjoy your holiday. Safe travels to you. Let's take a look at some things happening. The president is tapping into the strategic oil reserve, 50 million gallons. Uh, but I think I read where that's only about a two and a half day supply. How much difference is that expected to make at the pump? I doubt that it'll make very much, very much difference. Uh, the thing about the the oil supply is that it goes up and it goes down, and the price the price goes with it. And there really isn't a lot that politicians uh, uh, can do about it. Uh, I know there are Republicans say, of course, that you know Biden stopped the Keystone Pipeline, but that would not have had any effect on ga- in short-term gasoline prices. So we'll have to we'll have to see um, uh, what impact it has. Maybe it'll maybe it'll have a little impact over the next few days when people are driving so much. Uh, which would be good, but uh, uh, I doubt that it's going to be a big, a big deal. Yeah, the question has been around, is this what you should use the strategic oil reserve for? Uh, I think a lot of people think that's in case you're running out of, of oil, not just to try to do something about the price. Well, exactly. I mean, you think about it in military terms, that it's, that it's uh, you know, something, you're, it's an oil reserve that's kept in place uh, uh, for national emergencies, and is this an emergency, uh, especially when it has such a small impact? Of course, they're not depleting the whole the whole uh, strategic oil reserve, uh, so uh, they would probably the administration probably argue it's only a small portion. It's not going to uh, endanger us, uh, but we'll just have to see. Of course, the biofuels industry is saying, "Why don't you tap into our reserves? We got plenty. We could use more." ethanol and biodiesel yes increase the percentage of, of ethanol in the in the nation's gasoline supply actually for me the most interesting thing that's happened this week is that the biofuels industry has endorsed the build back better act uh and i was a, a little surprised at that uh since the farm bureau has come out a, against it and the corn growers seem to be neutral on it uh, but the bio, the biofuels groups, the major ones, plus the National Farmers Union, sent a letter uh, yesterday uh, saying that they uh, they endorsed the Build Back Better Act. So, uh, uh, in a week when Congress is out of town, uh, you know that's kind of the biggest news that I that I have seen. So we talked about this uh, last week. Uh, how do you see the Build Back Better plan faring in the in the Senate? Because it's going to be a lot harder to get through there than it was the House. Uh, yes, it will be. Uh, I think there will be some uh, there will be some compromises. Uh, uh, as I understand it, Senator uh, Manchin does not like the uh, 
the family paid leave. There are questions about an immigration provision that uh, the the House put in. Uh, We don't know whether that will pass muster with the Senate parliamentarian. So I think there'll be be quite a bit of negotiations. Senator Schumer, the majority leader in the Senate, uh, says he hopes that the the whole package will be passed and, and become law by Christmas time. So I think you know December is going to be a very active month between that and dealing with the, dealing with the debt ceiling and dealing with regular appropriations, which could end up just being another continuing resolution, you know, continuing the funding at the current levels, or they could the Congress could say, oh, we put so much work into these appropriations bills, we really want to pass them. It's going to be a busy uh, busy month. That uh, being able to. Co- continue what you already have that's kind of their uh fallback plan right i mean if they can argue right to the end and then if they can't come to any agreement always go to that yes and there are some republicans who want to do that they say it's really a continuation of the trump level of spending and they want to continue that the 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 problem with that is that when you do a continuing resolution you don't really make any improvements, that is, changes in policy that reflect the time. And so uh, you have arguments going back and forth uh, uh, that way. And they have passed these appropriations bills, indivi- not, not completely, not in the Senate, but in the House. They've worked, but they've worked on them in committee in both places. So, uh, for example, if there are research projects that they want funded, those are in the Senate Ag Appropriations Bill, and those would, you know, they would, you wouldn't have new research projects if you just pass a continuing resolution. Meanwhile, I keep saying this, but the infrastructure bill, yes, it's passed, but now comes the the real work, getting that money out there, getting projects actually started and completed. That will be the challenge, and we'll see how that goes. Yes, and people are saying that's what. Uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg's uh, reputation will be built on. You know, there's a lot of talk about whether, you know, if, if you get to 2024 or beyond, uh, he and Kamala Harris, the vice president, being competitors for the presidential nomination. So there's a lot riding on for Buttigieg on whether this is done well. Seems to always come back to politics one way or another, so it does play a part for sure. Jerry, thanks again. Have a great Thanksgiving. Safe travels to you. Great. I look forward to talking to you uh, in December when uh, there's more action happening here in Washington. (laughs) It'll be a busy month for sure. Thanks, Jerry. Take care. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right. Coming up later, more reaction to the uh, WOTUS decision by the Biden administration. Also, uh, some things happening with the potato industry, both in Canada and Mexico, that impact U.S. producers. But up next, something that impacts all of us, the cost of our Thanksgiving meal. Each year, the American Farm Bureau Federation does a survey of the cost of those items for that will be on the Thanksgiving table for many folks. And no surprise, the cost has gone up this year. How much and which items in particular? We'll talk with the new chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com 
to learn more. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the American Farm Bureau Federation has a new chief economist. We welcome him to the program. Roger Cryan joins us. Roger, good to talk with you. Good to see you last week in Kansas City. Welcome to AOA. Thanks, Mike. It's great to see you out there, too. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be uh, with the Farm Bureau team. Well, give us a little bit of your background and uh, what led you to American Farm Bureau. I, I guess my entire life and career has led me to this. I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, first job was stacking bales on a dairy farm. Um, I, I, was, I took agriculture in high school and, and went to Cornell for a semester to do agriculture when I was an undergraduate. Uh, I got my PhD at the University of Florida in agricultural economics. And after uh, time with USDA and the National Milk Producers Federation, I, am, I, I have had the Outstanding opportunity to come to Farm Bureau as a chief economist and, and serve all of America's farmers. And you come in at Farm Bureau at an interesting time with what's going on with our general economy as well as the ag economy. We have some uh, bright spots and some challenging areas, don't we? We do. Uh, I mean, at the moment, the, the real challenge is dealing with the ripples, the, the, the echoes from uh, COVID, which of course isn't isn't over, um, but the last two years have been full of uh, unusual situations and uncertainties. Um, uh, gov- government reaction and uh, maybe overreaction and uh, inflation and there's there's a there's a whole range of things going on right now. Before we get to the cost of this year's Thanksgiving meal, as an economist, what are your thoughts on when you're Dealing with inflationary concerns in an economy, uh, I, I've heard economists say more government spending is the worst thing you could do or, or not, not something that's going to be helpful. That, that encourages or, or fuels inflation. How, how do you feel about that? The way uh, a lot of government spending fuels inflation is that it, it, uh, is it has to be paid for with something. And um, I think what we've seen since in the last 20 months, really since March, uh, is there's been a substantial growth in the money supply. The, the Federal Reserve Bank and the federal government sort of approached this recession. They approached last year's recession from pan, the pandemic 
as if it was a normal recession, and it wasn't. It was a different kind of recession. Um, a lot of a lot of money has been pumped into boost demand when the real issues have been people not being able to get out and do the things they've normally done. Um, when a lot of extra money is spent, um, so the so the Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, did things to put more money into the economy on their own, uh, really sort of virtually printing money. Um, and, and Congress also spent a lot of money, and, and that had to be borrowed. Now that ends up creating more money supply. So all these things have contributed to, to inflation, and maybe it was necessary. Um, maybe it was not quite as much was necessary. There is some sign that the, that the Federal Reserve Bank is, is starting to back off on some of their some of their money creation, um, but it'll take it'll take time for that to work itself out. And even even some of the supply chain issues that have raised prices and have contributed to inflation, um, those those don't those aren't going away overnight. Last a uh, year ago, we were hoping some of these things would work out. This early this year, when when uh, some of these things came up, we sort of thought that they worked themselves out, but they they haven't really. There's there's just so much capacity and labor's a problem. Uh, Getting enough truck drivers to move product has been a problem. Uh, the port capacity in the West Coast hasn't been sufficient, um, and and so all the all the goods folks buy because they've been sitting home, not wanting to go out with the pandemic. Uh, building materials, furniture, electronics for their for their home home entertainment system, those have been filling up containers um, and sort of creating challenges for. Folks like uh, equipment manufacturers who want to want to bring in parts uh, and ships from overseas, and farmers who want to get their fertilizer. Uh, you know, we produce a lot of fertilizer in the U.S., but on the margin we rely on uh, we rely on imports. So um, it's it's been a, it's even that is taking time to work itself out. And when somebody goes to their equipment dealer and orders orders a piece of an implement, uh, farm. Uh, you know, a combine or a tractor, and they they can't get delivery until next fall. That's a pretty good indication that um, the supply chain not going to be is not solving itself in the next few weeks. Usually, the reaction to inflation is start raising interest rates. Do you think we'll see that in 2022? I, I think it's inevitable. There'll be a, there'll be a little bit, especially for some of the shorter term loans. Um, it is it is my I am, I'm. I want to be optimistic that the, the Federal Reserve Bank is is uh, recognizing the, the risks of long-term uh, inflation expectations, and that these steps they're beginning to take will will have an impact over the next 12 months. That'll that'll start to become clear that uh, that it's not a long-term uh, phenomenon. Uh, but if it doesn't if it doesn't get pulled back, if if the inflation continues. For a year or two, um, that's the worst case scenario, and the, the problems we had in the in the 70s and into the 80s, a lot of that had to do with uh, inflation um, sticking around for a long time, and everybody building that into their interest rate expectations, even for the long term, uh, you know, interest rates. I mean, farm loans and mortgages uh, they were they were ridiculously high because. The money was supposed to keep getting cheaper, and then when uh, inflation was tamed in the in the mid '80s, um, a lot of people were on the on the wrong end of the stick. Yeah, I think uh, we're all watching that all very very closely. We're talking with Art Roger Cryan. He is chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, Roger. Each year, American Farm Bureau puts out its uh, survey of um, the food items that often appear on Thanksgiving tables and the cost of them and no surprise, the survey showing that the, the cost of this year's holiday meal has gone up. That's right, Mike. The uh, the survey's been done every year since 1986. Um, it is a Farm Bureau tradition at this point. Uh, we had uh, volunteer shoppers go out in all 50 states and look at look at the prices and put together and collect prices for this 12 this 12 item basket um, of goods that'll allow you to produce a, a turkey dinner for uh, a turkey dinner with all the fixings for 10 people. And then our uh, senior economist, Veronica Nye and Cindy Shearing and our comms team both did really good work on this. Uh, Veronica did a lot of the, uh, came up with a lot of the thoughts that I'm 
I'm going to share with you on, on, on some of the effects and causes. Um, the, the turkey dinner uh, fixings came up came out to $53.31, which is just over $5 a piece for, for a family tent. So that's still a pretty good, pretty good deal, I think. Um, but it is 14% higher than it was last year. Uh, and, and one of the biggest uh, factors in that was the turkey, the price of the turkey itself. When you look at the rest of the, the goods, uh, the price of those went up about 6.6%, which is in line with the, the latest inflation numbers. Uh, but the turkey went up a good bit more, and I think that deserves a little bit of explanation. One, one factor that one factor in that is that, um, well, really the primary factor I think is that, uh, you know, it's been a year of uncertainty. The last two years, as I said earlier, have been years of uncertainty, and uh, I think it was um, most turkeys are are contracted. Uh, most turkeys blocks are not set until there's a contract in place, and the companies that buy turkeys were maybe reasonably cautious about about uh, how many turkeys they they supplied. It was hard to know how many folks were really going to be buying big turkeys and having big gatherings this year. Um, but it's 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 turns out that folks are getting together. They are they are buying turkeys, and uh, so turkey production test numbers we saw they're down. It's down about four percent, um, and that has affected the price. But most particularly, it's affected the price by um, sort of delaying when the stores began their promotions. And what we found was that the week that we collected the survey, promotions had not really kicked in like they have in previous years. Uh, the USDA does, does studies. They, they examined promotional prices, and they found that those prices didn't – those promotions weren't really kicking in that week, but they've been kicking in since then. And we expect that uh, if you're going out looking for a deal this week um, – May have a hard time thawing it before uh, before Thursday, but uh, but it, it, the prices should be you should be able to get get a good price. And we certainly we always hope that folks can go out and find an even better price in the store yep. than what what we what shows up on our survey. Roger, I bought my turkey early, and now I've seen prices come down in the store since I bought mine. So maybe I jumped the gun a little too much. Hey, it was good to talk with you, Roger. Good to have you on. Welcome to American Farm Bureau Federation, and we look forward to uh, hearing from you in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving. Roger Cryan, the new Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Let's Talk isn't just an invitation, it's how we do business. Our experts at FS AgriFinance believe that a meaningful conversation is the best way to help our customers reach their financial goals. We'll show you how to use financing as a risk management tool to help spread your costs and manage your cash flow. We know agriculture and are focused on what's ahead to make sure you're ready for it. Talk with your FS AgriFinance specialist at your local FS member company today. FS, bringing you what's next. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. U.S. winter wheat plantings advanced to 96% complete, while the condition rating declined 2% to 44% good to excellent. The Pacific Northwest is experiencing widespread poor to very poor wheat conditions. With relatively tight supplies, strong demand, and inflation, traders are keeping a close eye on crop conditions. On the Board of Trade today, December corn trading 2.5 cents lower at 574 and a quarter. The March contract down 2 at 582. 
two and a fraction of a cent. For soybeans, the January contract down nine at 12.65 and a fraction of a cent. The March contract down nine and a fraction at 12.77. For wheat, Chicago wheat December down three and a fraction at 8.42 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat December up a half cent at 8.62 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat December down five at 10.18 and a half cent. The March contract down five and a half cent at 10.26 and a fraction of a cent. Packers did not throw out any bids yet this week. The holiday shortened week may have them stepping up to match the offers in order to accomplish business. Some offers so far have been a dollar to two dollars higher. Box B prices were mixed Monday with choice up 84 cents and select down 10. The October cold storage report showed total beef in storage at 477.1 million pounds. This was up nine percentage points from September but down five percentage points from October in 2021. December live cattle on the Board of Trade trading 25 cents higher at 134.70. The February contract up two at 139.02. For feeder cattle, the January contract trading 87 cents higher at 162.57. The March contract trading 27 cents higher at 164.37. In lean hogs, the December contract down 70 at 73.95. The February contract down 50 at 82.50. You are listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. A lot of folks in agriculture concerned about the Biden administration's decision to go back to pre-2015 for the Waters of the U.S. rule. Not sure exactly what that may mean, but uh, does raise some concerns for agriculture. Let's talk about it with Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Scott, thank you for joining us. First of all, your thoughts, your reaction to this announcement. Well, we oppose it. Um, You know, we knew it was coming. They announced that they were going to move on a two-step rulemaking process to repeal and replace the Navigable Waters Protection Rule, which, as you know, that was the rule that was put forward by the Trump administration in 2020, which pulled back on some of the federal overreach of the 2015 WOTUS rule and provided some clear agricultural exclusions for our farmers and ranchers. So we we much preferred that version of WOTUS, um, but that is being undone by virtue of this proposal. That's just been put out by the EPA and Army Corps, which which basically goes back to, like you said, the pre-2015 rules, which are from 1986. Um, you know, the 86 regulation is, is probably better than the 2015 WOTUS rule from the Obama administration, but not by much. And really, at the end of the day, what it does is it relies much more on case-by-case determinations of the government. So that means you're going to have to go and ask the Army Corps, the EPA, whether or not you have a WOTUS on your property, and then they use their case-by-case determination to figure that out. So that puts a lot of the power back in the hands of the federal government rather than putting it in the hands of the landowners. So not a good, not a good uh, uh, announcement uh, by NCBA standard. Really seems to be a step backwards after the progress that was made with the new rule. It is a step backwards. It's going back, you know, back 40 years back to or 30 years back to the 86 regulations. And, and, you know, we had a good rule that was put in place in 2020 that we were able to engage in and to have 
a voice in the process, and now that's being undone. Something that this administration likes to talk a lot about is trying to stop the ping-ponging of regulations. Well, this announcement they just made does exactly that. It's ping-ponging it back again. So we're having to live through more uncertainty and more of this pendulum swinging in um, between administrations, and this is the latest example of that. We're talking with Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. So, Scott, it took four years for the Trump administration to change the old rule, get the new one in. What's the process now? What do you see as a timeline for this administration to try to make this change? Well, this administration is taking the exact same process as the last one, which is a two-step repeal and replace process. So... I think you could look at the Trump administration as a pretty good marker for how long it's going to take for this administration to do the same thing. So you're looking at a full four years of this term of the Biden-Harris administration to get this done. Um, so the announcement last week uh, that we're talking about here today kicks off a 60-day comment period where they're taking comments from the public. Um, Radhika Fox, who is the head of the Office of Water, was just out in North Dakota yesterday where she met with a group of stakeholders that included uh, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Vice President Todd Wilkinson, as well as the North Dakota Stockmen's Association uh, President Julie Ellingson. Uh, so we had some good representation in, the, in that meeting. Um, but that'll uh, co comments and all that will be uh, closed up, buttoned up in about 60 days, which puts us into January. At some point after that, they'll finalize the repeal. And then they're going to move on a second rulemaking, which again will have its own comment period. So you're looking at at least until the end of 2022, I think, before uh, they, they finalize these changes. And then all this stuff is going to be litigated. Um, you know, even if they're able to find a rule that works for 90% of the stakeholders on, on both sides of the aisle, and you know that this is an issue that's so politicized um, that, you know, it's going to be very difficult for them to get to a place where they've got a rule that everyone likes. So it, of course, will be litigated by folks on the on both the left and the right. And then it'll go to court and then it'll kind of be the same thing that happened with the last several iterations of the rule. There's probably going to be a court out there that strikes it down to some degree. And then maybe it makes its way up to the Supreme Court at some point. And then the Supreme Court is going to need to be in the position to provide some clarity and guidance uh, because really, at the end of the day, um, the Supreme Court back in 2006 uh, effectively kicked the can to the agency to say, figure it out. Um, you know, you had Kennedy's concurrence in what's called the significant nexus test. You had Scalia's plurality, which, which is what the relatively permanent waters test was. But really, that was a 4-1-4 decision, and it's very difficult uh, to take guidance away from the Supreme Court on that. So it's going to be up to the Supreme Court this time to actually get it right, provide some clear guidance, and put this issue to rest. Congress ain't going to do it. They can barely agree on what color the sky is. So we're left with the Supreme Court providing some final guidance here. So the more things change, the rule keeps changing, the more they stay the same, the same being the challenges, the litigation, the uncertainty. So here we go again. So through all that, and as you said, it's going to wind up in the courts and that takes time. We get back to the question for landowners, what do they do in the meantime? What rules in place while all these challenges take place? Well, that, that's the worst part is that it's just further confusion for landowners and, and producers across the country because now we're getting kicked back to the 86 regulation. What does that mean? How is EPA and the Army Corps going to implement it? And those are a lot of open questions that we don't have answers to. Um, but I think one big takeaway from going back to the 86 regulation is that, like I said before, it's going to rely much the 86 regulation relies much more on case-by-case -case determinations, and that's a big difference from the 2015 rule from the Obama administration because that rule categorically regulated everything, so you didn't need to ask the government because it was in. The 2020 Trump rule categorically excluded ephemeral features, so if you had small features out on your property, you didn't need to worry about that. You didn't need to ask anybody because it was excluded from regulation. But now the 86 regulation is different from both those rules because it is a lot more foggy. And basically, you're forced to ask the government whether or not you've got a WOTUS, and, and then they rely on a case-by-case -case determination. So it puts landowners and, and cattle producers back in the position of having to 
ask the government whether or not they've got a feature on their land. Yeah, it puts it right back there where we've really started on this. Private property rights versus uh, uh, federal government control and who has the say and who's making the determinations. What can, can you or cannot do on your own land? Water, navigable waters. It's just like it kind of opens everything back up again. Some things we thought we were getting settled. Now we start all over again. We're starting all over again. It's a lot like that that Bill Murray movie uh, from the 90s called Groundhog Day, where he just kept living the same day over and over again. And uh, that's what it feels like right now. Uh, we're going through the same process again. And, um, you know, that's not what we wanted at the end of the day. That's, that's bad governance. And it just creates further confusion and questions for the folks out there who have to work the land. And you know that cattle producers are some of the best stewards of our land. So having to put them back in this position where we're just, we've got question marks in front of us, it just doesn't help anybody. While not everyone agreed or supported the, the 2020 rule, there were a lot of groups besides agriculture that did support it. There was pretty big, broad coalition supporting the new rule. Um, do you expect then that there will be that same coalition pushing uh, to get something back to that or fighting going back to pre-2015? How do you see these alliances and the, the strategy moving forward on this? And what will you do at NCBA as far as uh, do you fight for the 2020 rule? Do you just Are you just opposing the going back to the pre-15 rule? Where do you stand on this? Well, there, there's a couple different battlefields on these policy issues. The two that are in play right now are in the executive branch, so lobbying the agencies and providing comments to them to help get them to the right outcome. The other battlefield is in the courts. And in the courts, we have, we've, we've been fighting on both fronts. So in the courts, we have been in court defending the navigable waters protection rule alongside the government and trying to fight that battle, even in the face of the government changing and, and basically uh, dropping their defense of the navigable waters protection rule, we've been able to kind of fill that gap and, and try to bolster the defense of that rule. So that's gonna that's kind of coming to a close now because the government's taking a posture, it's kind of mooting out some of these cases. But next will be whenever this, this repeal is finalized and whenever they finalize a, a substantive replacement in their step two process, um, if we don't like those and we think it's going to harm our producers, we have an opportunity to go to the court to, to challenge those rules. So we'll have an opportunity to do that. Of course, at the same time, we have an opportunity to try to get the government to the right policy outcome. And we're, that, that strategy and that campaign is ongoing. We're meeting with the uh, leadership of the uh, EPA and Army Corps. We're filing comments with them. And we're doing everything we can to try to shape it in a way where we end up with a rule that works for cattle producers. Again, the 2020 rule was just that. So we hate to have, have to be in a position where we're going down the same path again. But our job as the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is to try to do everything we can to get this administration to the right outcome. And if they don't get there, then, then we look at our options as far as, uh, as legal challenges. Um, so it's kind of a two-pronged approach, and then at the same time, you've got Congress on that third prong, but right now, they're not really in a position to do a whole lot with the, the, the composition of the, the Congress, um, but more to come there. Yep, the battle continues over waters of the U.S. Scott, thank you for the update. We'll stay in touch. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. That's Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And today, we're talking with David Black, Chief Information Officer at CHS, about Cooperative Ventures, a new capital fund focused on advanced technological breakthroughs in the ag industry. David, exciting news. What does this formation of Cooperative Ventures mean for the ag industry? This really means two things for agriculture. First, it's an opportunity to bring innovative technology to our industry. Um, but secondly, for both CHS and Growmark, we really have a long history of putting the success of farmers and ranchers first. And Cooperative Ventures is no different. For the first time that I'm aware of, we'll really have investment and new technology that will occur with a real focus on those who are at the heart of production agriculture. Looking ahead, do you see this joint venture focusing on funding any particular areas of ag tech? We do. There are really three areas that we want to spend our investment and we want to spend our time and energy on. The first is, is production agriculture in general. So trying to, again to drive efficiency and productivity in agriculture. The second is what we'll call the area of supply chain. But even more specifically, as we think about distribution all the way to the farmer, again, keeping our farmer, owner, producer sort of front of mind as we invest so that what we might call the final mile or that supply chain distribution to the farm. And then lastly, a really important area to all of us, and that's sustainability. As we move forward, the importance of carbon and greenhouse gas and, and just the impact on our industry, we see opportunity to invest in sustainability as well for the future. Cooperative Ventures. That's big news. CHS and Growmark coming together. That's David Black, Chief Information Officer at CHS. David, thank you very much. Thank you for your time this morning, Mike. And thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstad and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr, and much, much more. Register before November 25th to save $100 off registration. Get your tickets today at DTN.com backslash Ag Summit. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA.
Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we have a couple of breaking developments concerning the potato industry. Joining us now is the CEO of the National Potato Council, Cam Quarles. Cam, good to talk with you again. Let's start with uh, the situation with Canada. That There's a potato disease that you're working to keep out of the U.S. Bring us up to date on that. Yeah, Mike, happy Thanksgiving. Glad to be with you. Um, uh, yeah, un- unfortunately, this um, uh, it's a disease called potato wart. Uh, a very virulent disease would uh, it, it impacts uh, potato yield. Um, the uh, creates uh, deformed tubers. Um, it is something you do not want in your production, regardless of what country you're growing potatoes in. Uh, Prince Edward Island in Canada has been dealing with this for a long time. They've they've had um, uh, quarantine area management areas have been established up there. Unfortunately, the disease continues to appear. So last year, it appeared in seed potato production in Prince Edward Island. Um, That resulted in CFIA, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, voluntarily suspending all seed exports to the U.S. After a period of months, they cleared that. They said, you know, we don't believe there's uh, any more threat. So seed exports resumed. Unfortunately, now it's come back in processing potatoes just in the last uh, six weeks or so. So CFIA has now expanded that um, suspension of exports to include all potatoes uh, to the United States. And they've also uh, protected the other Canadian provinces. They've suspended seed exports, uh, seed uh, shipments to the other Canadian provinces. And then they've also instituted a variety of new measures to protect uh, those provinces from uh, uh, dirt, equipment, uh, and uh, uh, they require potatoes going into their into those provinces for processing to be washed and more heavily scrutinized than they otherwise were. So big, uh, obviously a big issue. Um, and unfortunately, we're sympathetic with the growers in Prince Edward Island. Pest and disease issues, as you know, for agriculture, it's not a matter of if, but when. And um, unfortunately, it's just, it's a situation that needs to be brought under control. So no sign of it, though, yet in the U.S., right? You've been able to keep it out of our country. Yeah, uh, I think that's why um, uh, USDA, in collaboration with um, Canada, jumped on this so quickly. Um, They obviously don't want it in any of the other provinces in Canada, and they certainly don't want it in the United States. The impact, Mike, if this got into the U.S., I think trading partners around the world would just turn our lights out overnight uh, on fresh potato exports. So you're talking about roughly a quarter of a billion dollars a year in in fresh potato exports would would disappear almost instantaneously if if we had um, uh, had a substantial disease outbreak of wart in the U.S. So it, it's understandable why folks have have uh, jumped on this so quickly. Yeah, it's a precautionary move for sure. All right, so let's now look to the southern border to Mexico. Uh, some encouraging news about, and you've kept us up to date on the ongoing dispute being able to sell our potatoes into that Mexican market. What's the latest there? Yeah, we're, um, so uh, you've, you've, you've kind of been through a lot of the story with us, Mike, and uh, we're, we're hopeful that we're getting to the final chapters here. Uh, Mexico has begun the regulatory process. Uh, re- you remember about seven months ago, the Mexican Supreme Court ruled unanimously in the U.S. favor that um, uh, their ruling effectively paved the way for uh, uh, U.S. fresh potatoes to have their access to Mexico restored. Um, so, the US, the, so Mexico has now begun the regulatory process. They have a, uh, what's called a requirement sheet that has been posted. They've also finalized an operational work plan. And what all that means, what that all means is we're getting very close to where exporters will have all of the information they need to begin shipping to Mexico. We're hopeful this is uh, this is this is not years away. This is months away, and optimistically, maybe uh, maybe weeks away. So we're um, uh, it's great to see these processes getting in place. This is a 25-year trade dispute, and we're, uh, we're we will be very glad to see it get to the get to the finish line in a positive way. 
Yeah, it sounds encouraging. And finally, as we get ready for Thanksgiving, potatoes will be a big part of our, our meals. Uh, when you look at the potato industry in this country right now, we hear about and we're all dealing with and, and feeling the impact of supply chain issues. Uh, where are we as far as supply and is and what is what are the challenges in, in moving the potatoes uh, to the market? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a relatively tight market. Uh, Mike, uh, you know, so, some areas have had a larger crop than others. I, I think, um, you know, Maine has a, a fairly substantial crop this year, um, but overall a, a relatively tight market for, for potatoes. Uh, we are suffering just as a lot of, uh, a lot of our other colleagues are suffering with uh, in challenges getting inputs, um, also getting containers for export loads. That remains a, a, a huge challenge. And when you can get the containers, the the prices for them are uh, are are still out of sight. So, you know, those those um, those lingering challenges, I think, are going to echo well into next year. We're obviously very hopeful as you look at the crop that will be planted in the springtime for uh, next year that we've got availability of all of those vital inputs. Um, so that um, so that you can start the start the year off right. Obviously, if you if planting doesn't go well, um, it's uh, you, you can't you can't claw back from that. So it's a, that's a really important time of the year, and we've got to have an adequate supply of all those inputs. Cam, always good to talk with you. Thank you for keeping us up to date on these issues facing the potato industry. Good to talk with you. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Mike. Thank you. Cam Quarles, CEO of the National Potato Council. With that, we wrap it up for today. Tomorrow, more reaction to uh, the decision on delaying the announcement of the RBO levels for the renewable fuel standard. We'll talk with the National Biodiesel Board about that and some other biofuels issues. And we'll check markets uh, as we head into the holiday and uh, get some outlook for the rest of the year and into next year as well. So hope you will join us again tomorrow. Thanks for being with us today right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash fieldposts.